0: Good morning, West Bowles Community Church. My name is David Perez. I'm the youth director here at the church. Uh, We are so glad you are tuning in this morning. Uh, We're recording this on Saturday, so there hasn't been a ton of snow that's fallen quite yet, Uh, but it sounds like we could be getting anywhere from uh, 10 inches upwards towards a little bit over a foot by the time uh, we would be uh, meeting this morning. So we hope you are enjoying the snow and that you are staying safe uh, in your home. Well, if you've been joining us over the past five weeks, uh, we've been going through a series called Getting Ready for Church. Uh, we've been talking about how Jesus was not just only interacting with the present, uh, but he was also uh, looking with the, the future in the mind uh, in mind, and uh, with the church in mind. And so he was getting people ready for church as he was teaching. And, and so that's what we've been going through. We've been talking all about how we can get ready for church, how we can be ready to be his church. And so that means a few things. Uh, Week one, uh, we talked that it's all about his kingdom and not ours. Week two, uh, we talked all about taking up his yoke, his way of life, and letting go of our yoke. Week three, we talked that it's all about trusting his ability and not our ability. Now you'll notice that those three things are very much internal. There are things going on inside and what that goes to show us is that Jesus above anything else wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. And so it's only once that he is on the throne of our hearts, only once that he is in our hearts uh, that we can then move on to the practical things. And so week four, we talked that prayer has to be in our priorities and that he even gave us the words to pray. And then last week, Last week, Pastor Nathan talked uh, all about service, uh, serving, and how that that looks like a towel in our hand. And so that brings us to this week. We're we're wrapping up the series today, uh, and we're going to talk all about stories. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this day. Thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, even though uh, we're not uh, meeting in person, we thank you for just the the technology and the ability, Lord, to still have church, to still be with our family and and learn more about you, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, uh, that it may not be my words, but yours. Lord, we pray that you open the hearts and ears of those listening this morning and uh, pray that you be glorified in everything we say and do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I mentioned we were going to be talking about stories. And so uh, there's all kinds of stories out there, right? We've got scary stories, funny stories. Uh, we've got your just obnoxious stories or, or even boring stories, mundane stories. Uh, there's tons of stories out there. But, but I would say that every story can, can fit into one of three categories, okay? Uh, one of three big categories. Uh, the first of those being stories that we don't want to tell stories that we don't want to talk about or things we don't want to talk about. Uh, an example of one of those is that uh, none of us is dying to go tell uh, those around us that we used to pick our nose as kids. Okay, not, not only that, but we're also not dying to tell people that that we not only used to pick our nose as kids, but some of us maybe used to eat our boogers afterwards. Okay, now that, that was that was not me. I, I never ate my boogers after I picked them. As a kid, uh, I actually only stuck to the boogers that were stuck under the desk, all right? Totally kidding. I didn't do that either. Um, and as much as I don't like to admit, as a kid, I, I ate the occasional booger, all right? So that there are stories we don't wanna tell. Okay? None of us wanna tell those stories and we've got others, other stories like that. We're like, ah, I'd rather keep that to myself or um, I'm embarrassed to tell that story. The second type of story, we have stories that we are excited to tell. Okay, stories that we, we can, uh, we're just stoked to tell other people. Uh, an example of that would be for me uh, was when I got my first car. I was 17 and I had just finished paying off the car. And I remember I could not uh, wait to tell. I was so excited to tell uh, my friends that I had gotten a 66 Mustang. Oh man, I was so excited to, to share with them uh, the story and show them the Mustang. And then the third category of story, which is really close to that second one, is stories we can't help but tell. It's, it's a story that it's, it's almost like we have to tell. We are compelled to tell other people about, about that story. And oftentimes that type of story is, is a story about something, an event, uh, something that's gone on in our life that has completely changed us. It has come in and completely changed our lives. Life has never looked the same after that event. And it's a story like that, a life-changing story that could not help but be told that we're gonna read about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to pick it up right in verse one. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Uh, you're going to see the verses up here on the screen. So if you're already cozied up on the couch or eating breakfast, you don't have to worry about getting up to get your Bible. Uh, the verses will be up on the screen. So uh, we pick it up here, Mark 5. It says this, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. You have to, I have to apologize there. No matter how many times I practiced that word, I, I could not get it right. He continues, when Jesus got off the boat, Now we're going to stop there. Let's look at that man's situation. As we we look at the the spot he's in, he's in a pretty rough spot, isn't he? He's in not just a pretty rough spot, he's in in really bad shape. For starters, he's demon possessed. I mean, if we stop there, that's bad enough shape right there. But he's demon possessed. But not only that, we read and we see in Mark that this man was in physical emotional, mental pain. He was in anguish. In fact, I would even go so far as to say torture. I mean, we can tell by, by the way he was cutting himself and screaming. And as if that wasn't enough, we see not only was he demon-possessed, not only was he in mental, physical, emotional pain, but he was also socially isolated. He was an outcast completely away from anyone in the community. We see here that he was chained up. And, and the reason for those chains holding him was to keep him away from the people of the city. And so he is in such a rough spot. You know, as I was reading this, this passage and, and as I was picturing what this man might have looked like or been like, uh, the character of Gollum, Came to mind. Now, if you don't know who Gollum is, he, he's a character in Lord of the Rings, and, and here's a picture of Gollum right here. Okay, that, that's clearly not a picture of Gollum. That, that's a picture of my head on top of Gollum. Okay, in my defense, I was eating some broccoli, and that's the reason I was making that face. I think we can all agree, broccoli's pretty terrible. All right, it's nasty. All right, guys, the, the sound booth decided to play a joke on me. All right, that's, that's not Gollum. Do we have a picture of Gollum? Okay, there he is. There's, there's Gollum. That's Gollum. He's, he's a character in Lord of the Rings. And what we read and we know about him um, is he was someone who used to be a person and was in such emotional, physical, mental pain and tortured by this ring right, that it completely transformed and changed who he was. And he was socially isolated, awful way on in, in the caves, and he was tortured. And so as I was reading as I was reading this passage, my mind went to that character. My mind went to Gollum. Now, what if I told you this? What if I told you that we actually have a lot in common with this demon-possessed man? If, if I were to say that, you'd go, David, what are you talking about? I've got literally nothing in common with this man. I mean, for starters, I don't look like Gollum. And, and his situation is completely different. Now on the surface... You're right. On the surface, it looks like we, we have nothing in common with this man. But if we look a little deeper, we see that we actually do have something in common with him. This man was desperate, and I mean desperate for help. He was desperate for change. He needed the situation around him to go away. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation where you were utterly and completely desperate for help? Have you ever been in a situation where you were utterly and completely desperate for change? Where your life just, it needed to look different. Maybe for you that situation, the the desperate need for change or for help has been or is from a physical ailment maybe it's an an injury, uh, a sickness. For you, maybe it was COVID, a chronic disease. It's interesting what happens when we are dealing with physical afflictions, with physical pain. We can get so desperate for help. We can get so desperate for change. For me, that was asthma. Now, asthma is a chronic condition, and I know full well and understand that there are chronic conditions that are far worse than that, but it's still not something fun to deal with. And growing up, I had actually very severe asthma. Uh, It was exercise and allergy induced. And so I remember I had just gotten to the place in life at 14 years old where I was so desperate for help. My asthma had gotten so bad that I was just desperate for change. I remember it had gotten so bad that at the church we were attending at the time, I would be sitting there uh, in service. And, and clapping and singing to the music, just singing, and I would get an asthma attack. Lungs would, sh- would close up, and just like that, I had to go take an inhaler, and sometimes the inhaler wouldn't completely work, so I'd have to try a few other things to open my lungs up. I was desperate for help. I was so tired of having to take steroids and not being able to count how many times my lungs had been so swollen up that I could barely breathe I was tired of of my asthma defining me. You see, it felt like a a shackle, like a chain. Like it, it defined my life and what I could and could not do. I was desperate for help. Maybe for you, it's not a physical thing. Maybe it's an emotional pain. We we have the saying that a lot of our kids know and at least I knew growing up is that sticks and stones may break my bones but words may never hurt me or will never hurt me. And you know what? That's one of the biggest lies that I was told as a kid. Because you know what? Sticks and stones may break my bones but bones will heal. But words sometimes words can leave permanent and lasting damage and scars. And sometimes when we have that emotional pain, right, when we've been scarred or hurt by, one, by what something, someone said or by something that they did, it's a more intense pain than anything else. And all we want is for that pain to go away more than anything, we just want that taken from us. For me, uh, that was, it was emotional pain inflicted by a family member. Now, my family, were are Mexican, okay? And uh, my father and I are the two darkest skinned uh, of my entire family. The rest of my family is very fair-skinned. Um, and so I remember at a young age, at the age of four, having a family member in some very, um, very explicit and specific terms, derogatory, racist terms, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that up to your uh, imagination, but um, in very specific wording, tell me that... Um, my skin color was wrong, that it was ugly and terrible and that because of the color of my skin, I was ugly and terrible, that I was deeply wrong and at a very deep level, there was something innately wrong with me because of the color of my skin. I remember hearing that at four years old so often, so frequently that one day, I'll never forget this, we were were at our house when we lived in Chicago and my mother and my sister were painting uh, the trim around our, our garage and they had this white bucket of paint. And I remember walking up to them and saying, I wish I could grab that paint can and dump it all over me so that my skin would be white. Now, I'm 29 now. It's been, it's been a long time and I'm, I no longer dislike the color of my skin. In fact, I love my tan skin. I'm glad it's nice to have a year-round tan. But the, the very deep hurt, the message that came along with that has stuck with me even to this day. The message that you are not good enough, that you there is something wrong with you at your core, that you should be ashamed of yourself, that you are not lovable, you will never be lovable, you will never be adequate no matter how much you try. That emotional scar and damage and cut and pain has stuck with me all the way into adulthood. And something I still struggle with today Maybe for you it's not a physical pain or an emotional pain. Maybe it's social. Like it or not, we are social beings. We read from the beginning when God created Adam. He creates him and he looks down and he goes, it's not good for man to be alone. Every single one of us is looking for a place to belong. So maybe right now you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel like you are utterly and completely alone, like there is no one around you who cares for you, like you've got no sense of community, no sense of belonging. When we get in that space, man, we get desperate for change. We get desperate for help. We get desperate for community, for someone to just care for us. You see, we get desperate for help and change just like this man was desperate for help. And change. He was physically, emotionally, mentally in pain, socially in need of, of people, yet completely outcast, pushed away, desperate for change, desperate for help. Just like many of us have been desperate for change and desperate for help. And it's it's unfortunate that when we get to that place oftentimes we think we have to figure it out, that it's up to us to change our circumstance, our situation, to heal ourselves. But in reality, those deep hurts, those deep pains are oftentimes too big for us to handle. And not only too big for us to handle, but too big for those around us in our lives to handle and change. We need someone greater than us. And that's where this man finds himself, in the pit of despair. And that's exactly where Jesus meets him at his time of most desperate need. Check it out. Verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. We see this man has this encounter with Jesus at his time of greatest need. And what does Jesus do? He meets him there. And then he changes his life. He frees him. He heals him. He delivers him. And right away, we see a noticeable change in this man's life. We see a change that the man himself recognized, but also those around him saw. We're going to continue. Verse 15 When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. This is quite a contrast to where the man was, to where he is, as we get to the end of the story. See, at the beginning, he's screaming, yelling, tortured, cutting himself up. We read, uh, and Luke, Luke records this, and one of the things he says is that the man was oftentimes unclothed. And so we go from this unclothed, tortured, screaming in pain, physically hurt man, to all of a sudden a man who was clothed in his right mind and sitting next to Jesus. Jesus. You see, it's a night and day difference. What a story, what a testimony to tell. Now, if it ended there, right there, if let's say it just stopped right there, that's where Mark stopped and and that was it, it would still be such a powerful story, powerful story of deliverance, but it doesn't stop there. You see, Jesus gives them a testimony and a story and then he tells them what to do next. Next. You see, not only does Jesus deliver him, heal him, change his life, not only does he give him a story, a testimony, a testimony that he can't help but tell other people about, but then he tells them, now go. Go tell other people the story. Go tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's shown mercy on you. And that's the beautiful thing. All of us who are believers, all of us who know Jesus, We have a story just like this man. We have a testimony. We can look back and tell how Jesus has changed our lives. And he tells us to go tell other people. And so if I could for a moment, I'd like to just briefly share my testimony, my story. See, it starts even before I was born. Now I was... um, I'm, I'm going to put out my parents put it so kindly. I was uh, an unplanned blessing. We'll go with that, an unplanned blessing. Uh, and so my parents said that uh, early on, um, while my mom was pregnant with me, they went to the doctor to just do a routine checkup, you know, make sure everything's okay. Um, and they said that the doctor stepped in uh, to, the, to the room and was very somber. And uh, the doctor looked at my parents and said, um, Mr. Mrs. Perez, there's no easy way to tell you this, but um, your son um, has very severe and is going to, be, going to be born with very severe spina bifida. She said there's uh, not, a, not a big chance that he lives very long. Uh, and, and if he does live longer than a few years, it's going to be a very poor and very difficult quality of life. He will be paralyzed, You will need to to feed him, change him, do everything for him. And it's going to be very difficult and not very good for him. And so they they told me that without missing a beat, she looked at them and said, so I would recommend an abortion. When do you want to schedule that? So my dad, the way he tells me, he tells me that he looked at the doctor and said, we're not getting an abortion. If he's born with spina bifida, if that's the case and he lives Then we were going to get him the best wheelchair and the best of everything that we can afford, that money can buy him. And she looked shocked at him and a few moments passed. And he said that that my mom then looked at the doctor and said, you know what, doctor, no. I've been praying and uh, he's going to be born fine. Despite what you say, he's going to be born fine. And uh, the doctor disagreed and they went their ways. And we fast forward and I was born a month premature, but you know what? By the grace of God, I was born healthy. I was born with no spina bifida, no sign of it whatsoever. Only by his grace. We fast forward and, and as I got older, you know, I was a healthy kid. Um, but I, like I said, I developed asthma. And I developed very severe asthma. Uh, I mean, I cannot, I cannot count The amount of times I was on prednisone, I cannot count the amount of times my lungs were so swollen shut that it felt like I was breathing out of a straw. I can't count the amount of asthma attacks I had. And you see what they say is oftentimes kids grow out of their asthma. And, uh, And as they get older, right, it gets better and better and eventually it just slowly goes away. Well, my asthma did the opposite. As I got older and older, it got worse and worse and worse. And I finally got to the point where I could not handle it anymore. Like I shared earlier, I was desperate for change, desperate for help. I was was so tired of having this illness define me and control my every single action in life. I was tired of having everything colored by that. I was tired of being sick. And it all came to a head one Sunday morning. I'd woken up, I remember it was at the church we were attending when I was growing up, And in fact, I had an asthma attack that morning. I had to take my inhaler uh, before we got to church. And so we we got to church and uh, you sat through the sermon and you know was just so frustrated and fed up and mm, just tired. So the pastor finishes the sermon and uh, he goes, you know what, I I didn't plan this, but I feel the Lord uh, telling me to have an altar call for healing. The Lord's telling me someone in here needs healing from a physical ailment. And so he said, if that's you, come on up. And uh, if you've ever seen or, or been to an altar call, they're <laughs> a little scary, right? Getting out in front of the entire church and being prayed for in front of everyone, it's a little daunting. And so, um, but I'd finally got to the point where I was desperate. I was, I was desperate. And so I, I walked up without hesitation, went right up to the front of, of this, uh, the sanctuary and the pastor began to pray for people to my right. And as he prayed for them, have you seen on, on TV, those people that get slain in the spirit, right? The pastor's praying for them and they like drop dead, they fall. And, uh, and so that's going on. They're, they're dropping down. They're falling. And I'm a little scared. And so finally, pastor gets to me and he'd known me. And he said, what's, what's wrong, son? And I told him it's my asthma, pastor. He said, okay. So he began to pray. And uh, I'll never forget this. He's praying. And then he began to pray that the Lord take away my asthma. He, Prayed for healing, and he put his hand on my chest, and I don't know how else to describe it, but other than it felt like my lungs opened up, it felt like it just they boom, and it felt like for the first time in my life I could breathe. And so he prays for me, and that happens, and all of a sudden, just like the rest of them, I fell down. I fell down, and, and, and it was the strangest thing. It was uh, it was if you ever been uh, on a hot summer day, you know it's like ninety degrees out, and you go and you sit underneath the coolness of a tree. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was sitting under the coolness of a tree. And at 14 years old, right I, I, it's like I came to, I woke up and, and, and without even hesitating, I, I just was on my knees and I was sobbing in front of the entire church, sobbing, bawling. And it wasn't tears of, of sadness or frustration, it was tears of joy, because I knew in that moment I was healed. My parents were in the service. They were upstairs teaching the kids. And so I walked up to them after the service. I grabbed my inhaler, handed it to them and said, I'm never going to need this thing ever again. And it has been 15 years, going on 16 this year, since I've had asthma, since I've had any sign of asthma. You remember I talked about that emotional pain. Now, I still deal with it a little bit. There's still a little bit of scarring and there is still a little bit of pain and I'm still dealing with it. But you know what? God hasn't left me. He hasn't abandoned me. He has walked alongside me through that. He has begun to heal me. Day by day, month by month, year by year, the Lord has begun to heal that emotional trauma and pain. And in fact, he's begun to soften my heart towards that family member. Five, six years ago, if I was ever around that family member at at family events, you know, I couldn't step in the room without looking at them and just imagining a fight breaking out between us and just, I mean, wailing on them, just punching them. But now, you know, it's crazy. I look forward to them and hope for them to be at family events. The Lord has softened my heart where I actually want to see them. And I genuinely care and hope that they and their family are doing well. He's slowly beginning to heal. You know, the Lord has given me such an amazing community, such amazing people in my life, a group of friends who has been with me through the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. He's given me an amazing wife who has been there with me through the same thing, through the best and the worst. You know, I look at these last two years, and for those of you that don't know, my, my father's got terminal cancer. And uh, the last two years have been the most difficult two years of my life. They have gone so quick. You know, it's, it seemed like it's been a day. And at the same time, they've been the longest two years of my life. It's felt like 10 years. And yet through that entire time, God has been so faithful and has walked alongside me through it all. He has given me the strength and the peace and the joy I've needed to get through it, even when it's been at its worst. He's been so gracious. And I'm happy to say right now we're we're celebrating a good time, that things are okay with his cancer, that we're so lucky to have a little bit of extra time. Even though I've gotten some white hairs, and Grace and I joke and say that by the time I'm 35, I'm going to be not gray, pure white, God has been so good in these last two years. And above all that, above everything I just listed, the greatest thing that God has done, the greatest part of my testimony and my story is that God looked down on me in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my sin, knowing how much I would have sinned and will sin. And he looked down And he still sent his son. And his son died on the cross and rose from the dead because he loves me so, so much. Because he loves me more than anything. Because he wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to spend an eternity with me. And not only did he save me, but he continues to sanctify me he continues to make me more like him. Even when I'm not very much like him, even when I stumble and I fall and I still sin, God continues to sanctify me. And I know he's going to continue to work in me and on me until the day I die and until I'm on the other side of eternity. And if he did nothing else, if he never healed me of the spina bifida or the asthma, if, if he never healed and begun to heal the emotional pain, if he never uh, gave you the strength to get through these last years, if he did nothing else, if all he did was save me, if all he did was die on the cross for me, that would be more than enough. That would still be the greatest testimony ever. And here's the beautiful thing is, you know what? I know you have a testimony too. I know you have a story too. And the story of God saving us and what he's done in our lives is a story that we can't help but tell. Not just something we're excited about, but it's something we can't help but share. Now we have to be careful. Sometimes we can, if we're not careful, turn our testimony into all about us. We can turn our testimony and and really make it about, look how bad I was. But that's not the point of our testimony. That's not the point of our story. Read here what Jesus tells the man in verse 19. He says this, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You see, our testimony, our story, it's not about us. It's about God. And all that he has done. Our story is all about him and all that he has done in our lives. And that is powerful. That is wonderful. That is life changing when we sit back and look at all that he has done for us. And so, the last part to getting ready for church is this it's a testimony on our lips. It's a testimony of lips. It's our story that we can't help but share about how God has changed our lives, about all that the Lord has done for us and how he has shown mercy to us. And so with that in mind, let's put it all together. Do you wanna get ready for church? Do you wanna be ready for church? Well, it's simple. It's not complicated. It's not It's not these big, crazy, grand things. It's simple. It's these things. You want to be ready for church, it looks like this. It's Jesus in our heart. It's prayer in our priorities. It's God's towel in our hands. And it's a testimony on our lips. Like I said, none of those feel big None of those even feel heroic. But time and time again, over and over again, they're what God uses. I mean, we look back at the history of the church, even the history of this church, it's what God uses over and over again. And it's what allows him to do the heavy lifting and invite others to be a part of what he's doing, starting with church. And so as we wrap up getting ready for church, I hope you join us next Sunday. I'm, I'm so excited to share with you all as we begin to look towards Easter and as we begin to look at just how much Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you for everyone in this church body, in this community, Lord. Lord God, I pray that as we go through this week, Lord, I pray that you just remind us of just how much you have done for us and the mercy you have shown us. Lord, I pray that you remind us of our testimony. Lord, and just of the fact that you have saved us, Lord, that you gave up everything for us. You paid the ultimate price because you love us and because we are worth more than anything to you. Lord, I pray that our testimony, our story, be something that we cannot wait to share with people, Lord, and I pray that through all that you've done in our lives that we're able to share the good news of Jesus with other people and that they're able to have an encounter with you as well, that they're able to know you, the true living God, our creator. Lord, keep us safe as we go through the snowstorm, as we go through our week. Bring us back together next Sunday. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.